0: Hello, and welcome to this week's podcast. In last week's episode, we launched into January's Brave New World, Brave New You series, with a debate on whether or not hospitals are good for us. This week's episode is a much less complicated question. What exactly is the meaning of life? Apparently, a taxi driver once asked Bertrand Russell the same thing, but funnily enough, he wasn't able to give him an answer. Well, in today's podcast, we've asked Mark Rowlands to give it a try. Mark Rowlands is Professor of Philosophy at the University of Miami and author of The Philosopher and the
1: Wolf. So I'm gonna talk about the, the, the meaning of life, get that sorted in, uh, in 30 minutes or less. Um, the sort of thing an academic philosopher would say about the meaning of life is what does that even mean? You know, what do you mean when you say what is the meaning of life? And you know, what is the meaning of the meaning of life? it's not as pedantic as it sounds because what, what does it mean when you say, what is the meaning of life? Well, one way of thinking about it is, well, um, it's a question about what I should value. You know, what should I value? What should I cherish in life? We're not really looking for a, relig- a religious answer whether life as a whole has a purpose, whether God created life in order to f- fulfill some purpose. That's not really the kind of purview of philosophy. What we're looking for is what you might think of as meaning in life. What makes my life or your life or anyone else's life a meaningful thing. The French existentialist philosopher uh, Albert Camus um, put it this way, according to Camus, suicide he says is above all a confession. It's a confession that life is not worth the trouble. So one way of thinking about the meaning of life is is, is this way, well what is it that makes life worth the trouble? And for different people, different things make their life important, Okay, make their life worth the trouble the sort of thing we're looking for in philosophy is a kind of general answer you know some people say well it's my children other people say it's my hobby or it's the holidays i go on or it's my work what we're looking for is a kind of general answer which which uh, incorporates all of these things okay something that all of these things have in common would be the the ideal right so what i'm going to do is is, is present uh, and, and defend an answer to that uh, that sort of question and Somewhat idiosyncratically, I'm I'm going to draw on various mythological stories, which are of course stories that are literally false. So, so a legitimate question might be: well, Why study things that are you know literally uh, false? Why 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 bother uh, talking about these things at all? And the answer is that I think these sorts of stories they're they're obviously allegories. Um, they, what they say uh, may be literally false, but in, encapsulated or incorporated in the story. Is is a message which can be can be true. So the stories can say c- can show something, even if what they say is not um, in any way true. At least that's that's the idea. So I'll, I'll try and show that in the stories of of, of certain immortal beings, the stories of the gods and and, the, and their victims in particular, uh, we we find an implicit conception of the best sort of life that humans can live. Okay, Sisyphus. For reasons that are not entirely clear, the, the stories vary, but he was, for whatever he did, um, apparently he was a very sort of clever, manipulative, deceitful person, but that doesn't really matter. For his punishment, the gods made him roll um, a big rock up a hill for all eternity. When, when, the, when he gets to the top of the hill, uh, it slips from his grasp. This is obviously an allegory, right? So what, what, what's, what's the message? Well, you know, it invites us to think about the ways in which our lives might be like that of Sisyphus. So daily, perhaps you know, we might scurry off to a job where we we do the same sorts of things today as we did yesterday, and we'll do the same sort of things tomorrow as we do today. And then, you know, why are we doing this? Well, in part, perhaps for some, we have children, you know, and we, we want to raise them, and eventually they will grow up and they will have this, the same sorts of jobs where they do the same sorts of things on one day as they do on the next, and so on. So, so the difference between between Sisyphus and us is simply that. Whereas he returns to the foot of the hill to start all over again, we we leave that to our, our children. But the interesting question is, well, why is why is Sisyphus's punishment so horrible? What exactly is it about this punishment which is so horrible? Is it the difficulty? And you know, the way the stories usually go, they emphasize the, the huge size of the rock, the immense effort involved, you know, to, to get this rock to the top of the hill. But imagine the gods did it slightly differently. They gave him a sort of smallish pebble, you know. Something can easily fit in his pocket, if you like. Strolled to the top of the hill. When he gets there, the pebble falls out of his pocket, rolls back down again, and he has to start all over again. And I think that punishment may be not quite as as, as unpleasant, but it's still pretty <coughs> nasty. So I think it's, it's not really the size or the difficulty of, of the rock which is the, the problem. But you can imagine a variation on the story where the gods, they take a slightly different route. So they, they instill in Sisyphus by some you know, psychopharma, chemical means or whatever, they instill in him an intense desire to ro- roll rocks up hills, okay? Now, it's, it's not clear that that makes his punishment any less nasty. In fact, in some ways, it seems even worse. Um, Camus you know, said, well, at least Sisyphus in a in, in sort of traditional story has a certain kind of dignity. Right. As Camus said, you know, in his contempt for the gods, you know, these powerful, vicious beings that have imposed this punishment on him, one must imagine Sisyphus happy. I'm not sure that's, that, that might be a little strong, but you can see that Sisyphus uh, has a certain kind of dignity that's lost once his mind is manipulated in this way to make him want to do this pointless task over and over again. I don't think the issue of whether Sisyphus is happy really gets us to the, the, the crux of the issue either. The real horror seems to be the sheer pointlessness of the whole thing. The task aims at nothing, it achieves nothing. Imagine a variation on the Sisyphus story where his labours do have a purpose. He's rolling this rock and it's up a hill and it doesn't roll back down again. He goes back down and gets another rock and gets it to the top of the hill. And after then, you know, eons of of, of labor, let's suppose, he he finishes this task. He's built some some, you know, temple or something like that, which is beautiful and withstands time and so on and so on. What then? And there are various strategies Sisyphus might then adopt with regard to the rest of his immortal life. Uh, The first strategy, well, we just bask in the afterglow of mission accomplished. There it is, there was this horrendous task I had, I've achieved it, now I can bask. I mean, the problem with that is, well, it seems to, um, it's gonna get old very quickly. How long can one, you know, legitimately bask in, 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 in the afterglow of mission accomplished? Another strategy would be to find um, another meaning-giving purpose. Oh, well, done that. Now let's go on to the next. But this sort of strategy is also fraught with with difficulty, right? Because what if you can't find one? How many meaning-giving purposes can life have, right? Perhaps one should learn to be a little less cavalier with one's meaning-giving purposes. I don't know. And there's also, I mean, the dreaded possibility of comparison. Okay, you've achieved this purpose. Now let's find another one. But what if the other one is, you know, well, just not quite as good? Or what if, perhaps worse, it's much better? So that the sort of majority of your life you're spending, you spend, you now realise, is a sad waste. Strategy three would be to to, to, to try and find only unachievable purposes. You, you you imagine tasks like trying to end world poverty or something like that. It may be unachievable, who knows? But even if it is, that doesn't necessarily make it meaningless. If, if, if we go this route and, uh, and make sure we only pick unachievable purposes we've drastically curtailed the available number of purposes uh, we have What should we conclude well the problem is whether Sisyphus's activity is purposeful or not it doesn't really seem to matter we're having trouble understanding life uh, life's meaning in terms of um, in terms of purpose so maybe 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 we should conclude that the, the notion of purpose or have a, a point to one's activities is, uh, is bankrupt. We we need to understand the the meaning of life in, in in different ways. Consider another mythological figure who fell foul of the gods, Tantalus. <sighs> something to do with serving his son up for in in a pie or something for the god. I don't I don't know what. But anyway, um, so Tantalus was was um, condemned for all eternity to stand in a pool of up to his neck in a pool of water beneath uh, the branches of a, a fruit bearing tree. And whenever he reached for the fruit, the branches would pull away from him. And whenever he stooped to drink, the waters would recede. There's an ambiguity in the notion of purpose, which emerges when we think about the message of Tantalus. There are some things we do for their own sake, and there are some things we do only for the sake of something else. And work is the the classic example of uh, activity whose purpose is extrinsic. Um, You know, we work in order to get paid. Uh, some people claim oh, I, I, li- I like my job so much I would do it even if they didn't pay me. Uh, they, they they wouldn't I suspect. But but uh, but even if they did, I mean there's going to be some aspects of the job that are just not going to be very pleasant and you have to do them anyway. So the value of work is is, is what philosophers say is instrumental. It's like the value of money or medicine. So Im- imagine a life of pure work, a life where you only ever do something in order to get something else. Um, a life where value is always in this something else. That would be a life where what's of value is always just out of reach. So, so the more a life is dominated by work, in this sense, uh, the more it resembles the punishment of, uh, of Tantalus. What's the alternative? Well, you, you might think of play. Again, this is a sort of te- semi-technical sense of play, but uh, play is activity whose purpose is intrinsic to it. So we have another conception of purpose, very different, I think, from that involved in Sisyphus. Because an activity whose, whose purpose is intrinsic to it is an activity whose value is intrinsic to it. If you do something for its own sake, then that's because you value it for its own sake. So consider Zeus, right? You know, everyone's example, a favorite example of a moral monster. And he is a moral monster, and I'll sort of tie that in at the end. Zeus did various bad things, but he always did them in a particular way. So let's suppose the eye, the eye of Zeus has been taken by some or other comely mortal. Right. He had a lot of time in his hands. This happened a lot. So um, there are certain advantages to being the, the, sort of the most powerful of the gods, but also certain disadvantages. Zeus will never experience the, the thrill of the, the chase, the sort of will she, won't she, or, or will he, won't he, in some cases, uh, sort of um, worries. So what does Zeus do? Well, he, he, he makes things into a game. You know, um, he seduces Alcmene by disguising himself as a, a husband, Am- Amphitryon. Uh, Seduces leader. Well, the, 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 a swan was his preferred uh, means there, um, and so on and so on. Or, or, or imagine you're Zeus and you want to do something bad, like release all the evils of the world. Um, you could do that anyway because you're Zeus, right? But what do you do? Well, you create a woman who you give to a guy called Epimetheus. Why? Well, because his brother Prometheus screwed you over in some way, you know. <laughs> that uh, um, I, I, in the in the sort of knowledge that she will. Um, open the box. Um, what's Zeus doing? Well, he has a certain a certain mo. He there's something he wants to achieve, but he chooses an unnecessarily difficult way of of achieving it, right? Um, and that I think is the sort of the 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 essence of play. There's a guy called uh, Wittgenstein who once argued that we can't we can't explain what it means to play. Play is what he called a family resemblance concept. We can't specify what what a game is, for example. Um, there's also an, another guy, much less known, called Bernard, Bernard Suits, a Canadian philosopher who actually showed that Wittgenstein was probably wrong and came up with a very good definition of a game, which involves two elements. On the one hand, there's the, is what he called a prelusory goal. So that's a goal that you have that can be achieved independently of the game. Um, the second element is the what he calls a losery attitude. So... What you do when you play is you choose a less than maximally efficient or an unnecessarily difficult way of achieving a goal. Why? Well, just so you can do it in that way. So you imagine, you know, the case of a runner, a very simple game, getting from A to B or A to A if they start and finish at your own house. You know, um, you could do that by various means. You could hop in your car, but you choose a, a less than maximally efficient way. Why? Just so you can do it in that way. Um, that's, what, that's what it is to play, I think. So imagine if, if, if you were a god, how would you spend your immortal existence? Um, everything you want, you can easily get, more or less. Your only real enemy is boredom. And I suspect that to circumvent this, then you would start to voluntarily choose difficult ways of achieving things you want to get. Um, so, in other words, if we were gods, then we would spend our time playing. Play is is activity that carries its purpose within itself. So, the value of play is intrinsic rather than than instrumental. Uh, and play in its pure form is something that you do just to uh, just to do it and for no other reason. So, as a first approximation, the meaning of life is play. Um, this isn't quite right. I mean, there are various, you know, various objections that I think could be raised to this. So you know, is, this, is this an invitation to, to idleness and indifference, as one of the things that Schiller said might suggest? I think the answer to that is not necessarily, because play designates any activity uh, that you do for its own sake. Uh, so it includes uh, things like you know, artistic creation, scientific discovery, and so on, if you do these things for their own sake and not for the sake of anything else. So you know, play needn't be frivolous. It can be very, very serious sometimes. Sometimes deadly serious. Uh, nor need nor need it be fun. Um, it can be experientially very, um, very unpleasant sometimes, as anyone who's who's run a marathon in an overweight and undertrained state will will yeah. will know. Uh, and it's not necessarily about happiness. It's very tempting to think that the meaning of life is all about happiness. But happiness, I think, is is. It, corresponds to two very different things. It divides up into two very different things. This is part, I think, of what Schiller's getting at when he talks about the, the fusile pleasure that smooths the empty face. Um, so you imagine you come back you come back home from a hard day at work and you you get a drink from somewhere and you sit down to watch a, a well-crafted yeah. sitcom. This can be undoubtedly, you know, pleasant, experientially pleasant. But what that is really is just a kind of distraction from how much of our lives have become dominated by by work. Um, this kind of, so, so this is a, a sort of distraction from just how much our life has become dominated by the instrumental instrumental uh, value. There's a kind of joy I think that goes with playing that children know best and we've tended to, you know we tended to forget when we, we got into the business of growing up and becoming someone. but there's a kind of joy that, that goes with, with doing something for its own sake and not for the sake of anything else. And I think that's one. Uh, that's things are bad. Nevertheless, there's, there's something wrong with the idea that the meaning of life is played. There's something not quite right. Um, and, you know, to, to realize what this is, we, we need only remember that Zeus was, after all, you know, a moral monster. And um, Zeus Zeus recognized something that we've forgotten, that we once knew, I think, when we were children, we forgot as we grew up. that there are certain things that are worth doing for their own sake. And everything else, well, it's not really that worth doing, you know. But there's something that Zeus forgot or never knew that we know that, that it's not just activities that have intrinsic value, but also other, other people. Other people for Zeus were just his playthings, you know? They, they, they had the value of instruments. So, in conclusion, I think we need to sort of think about it in this way. What makes what makes life worth living, as we put it, what makes life worth the trouble, as we put it, are the things in life that we can find that, that we value intrinsically and not instrumentally. Often the, the, these will be activities, things that we do just for their own sake, just to do them. But other times, if, we, if, if you know, and uh, other times they, they might be other people in our lives. So what all, what, what what these sort of activities and what these other people have in common is they both have a kind of value, or we value them in a certain kind of way. And it's valuing things in that way, whether these are activities or whether these are other people, which makes life uh, worth the trouble. Thank you.
0: We hope you enjoyed this podcast, which was brought to you by the Institute of Art and Ideas. So what do you think? Have we figured out the point of it all? Let us know by tweeting at IAI underscore TV with the hashtag philosophy 4 Times.